this is predicated on trust. So if you find yourself not being trusted, maybe you need to social engineer your table a little bit so people will believe you when you say you crit three times in a session. <laughs> or maybe you need to be more trustworthy, whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Particle Accelerator in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 276 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about how to speed through the combat slog. But first, the party does some homework in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Simple Simon makes quick work of fights in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. Like the new Spellbook Monster Edition. Um, Seriously, go look at these things right now because they are really cool looking and also sometimes a little terrifying slash adorable yeah so this is their spell book right um which which is like a, a carrying case you can pick the foam it's got several inserts you can carry a mini or some dice or pen or whatever in it uh and you can always customize the cover it was always leather but now it, they've pinched the leather in such a way that it looks like a monster's face so you get to choose what its eyes look like and what its facial expression is either two eyes grinning or scowling or cyclops grinning scowling or my personal favorite neutral neutral the high clops so yeah that, <laughs> what you mean exactly uh there are two different sizes the normal spellbook size and the mini spellbook size um I think you know that these are good quality because it's going to be six weeks for them to put it together once you order it because each of these is uh, made when you order because obviously they're all customized. You can find those monster spellbooks and many other products at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. All right, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Korth, the austere capital of Karnath, the party is chasing a killer. With the mind seed Elaine dead and his apartment blown sky high, the party regroups at the Orion Enclave to lay low. But that night, Bramble has terrible dreams of blood and being cut apart. I think this was the first time you forced this wisdom save on us, uh, where like every time we rested, you made us make a wisdom save and somebody had miserable dreams. Yeah, anyone who failed had bad dreams, um, didn't sleep very well, and they started to reveal a little bit more and more. So now it's, you know, blood and, and being cut apart and a hooded figure hovering over you. So in the morning, the party regroups and examines the pile of burnt papers that Lenore was able to grab from Elaine's lab before leaving quickly. Switch, Warden, and Vesicod put their heads together and crack a lyrical code based on Riadrin syntax to reveal a manifest of imports and exports. Now, this is mostly high-end goods from across Corvair. Ancient metallurgy from the Dakani Empire, art and furniture from Droam, herbs from the Shadow Marches, but a few entries stick out. So Elaine was importing large quantities of Dream Lily, an addictive drug often used by veterans of the last war to calm their nerves. 
He's also receiving shipments of Absentia, an expensive but not addictive drug used by the upper classes. It causes an hour of unconsciousness filled with vivid hallucinations of being another person. But only one entry denotes a shipment from outside of Corvair, an unspecified item coming from Stormreach in Zendrick, due to arrive in about a month. There are also mentions of storage locations in a place called the Caves of the Skeletal Hand. This research is interrupted by Bach. The dwarf is in his nightgown, and he's leaving a hallway that leads to the Orion Quarters. When he spots the gathering, he pauses sheepishly for a moment. They decide not to share their new info with him, and he retires to bed. To his own bed. Not down that hallway. Uh-huh. So, the party tracks down Hazel to Orion, the mid-level acolyte who first welcomed them to the Enclave in the first place. And they ask her, where are these caves of the skeletal hand? She tells them they're located beneath the cliffside of the community ward, where sailors and dock workers live. They used to be used by King Caius and the White Lions as storage during the siege near the end of the last war. But now, people say they're mostly empty, except for, you know, some goblin tribes that have moved in since the war ended. So, Valina, Ephraim's sister, wanders in after breakfast. Warden can tell she smells like dwarf sweat. No one mentions anything. Nope. No big deal. After they all eat, Switch decides that she is going to reconnoiter the previous night's deeds. So, she turns into the form of Elaine and heads to the ruins of his apartment. A few blocks away, the white lions have cordoned off the entire area, and when they spot her, they begin to give chase. But she runs away, slips into the crowd, and is able to get down into the sewers before transforming into her persona Stash and heading back to the Orion Enclave. The party hopes that people will believe Elaine is still alive, and perhaps his shipment from Zendrik will still make it. And then they prepare to investigate the Caves of the Skeletal Hand. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about speeding up combat. This is a question that we get sometimes, and I often see online as well, where people are like, how do I make this go faster? Because this one fight has been dragging on for multiple sessions, which of course means either multiple weeks or multiple months of gameplay, and we haven't been able to do anything else. And I'd really love to move the plot forward. In most tabletop RPGs, combat is a central pillar of both the game system and the game experience. So we play pretend for a while, we move the plot forward, we explore some strange worlds, but eventually we get down to brass tacks and we go fight some monsters. It's a good part of the game experience, and it's often a necessary part of the game for many players. Like, I I am less interested in a game that's entirely narrative and then has absolutely no combat mechanics. I'll... I'll play it sometimes, but, you know, it's not the thing that I want to play week after week. Unfortunately, in most systems, combat takes a really long time. Uh, We've been playing a lot of Lancer recently, and by playing Lancer, I mean playing mech combat, grindy mech combat, week after week. Hour-long rounds of combat. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To the point where people can go off and do work in between their turns and come back two hours later and it's their next turn. Yeah, I mean, uh, shouldn't be a surprise. It's, you know, inspired heavily by 4th edition D&D, which had the same issue, you might say, of complicated, sloggy combat. Right. Even people who like 4E, and I count myself as one of those people, would say that combat took too long. Um, Later rules in like Monster Manual 3 updated monster stat blocks so that combat moved a little more quickly. But still, no matter what, it was always kind of a slog. 
Because no matter how much a player might like combat or prepare for combat or build their entire character around combat, sometimes it just gets to be too much. Yeah, but of course, you don't want to remove it altogether because this is still a monster fighting game. Uh, and tinkering with the mechanics of combat can lead to some unexpected consequences and bad outcomes if you aren't really sure with what you're doing. Yeah, you can make it a whole lot worse. So this episode, we're going to talk about some hacks, both in-game and above the table, to make combat faster and hopefully actually more enjoyable. So we'll go through some of the issues that you might face, and then we'll talk about some ways to correct each of those. And I think the first one might be that you're just having too many combats. It might not be the case in your game that individual fights are taking too long, right? There just might be too many of them. Lancer is balanced around something like three to four fights per mission. And the fiction of the game is usually like, we're going to go on a mission in this far-flung location. And once we get there, there's not really time for downtime or anything else. We're just sort of doing fights and working our way through a facility or fighting a succession of enemies. But that can just mean multiple sessions of only fighting. Right. Uh, you might have more pugnacious parties who only start fights, right? Like they, their solution to uh, any social encounter is to punch it in the face until it becomes a combat encounter. And like that's a, a valid character archetype or like a personality type to have. But it, if you're playing a system where now suddenly you've locked everybody into one to three hours of, you know, gritty mechanical combat that becomes a problem, especially if it's only like one or maybe two people in the party and not everybody who's like getting everyone into fights. A lot of systems also balance around a specific number of fights per level or permission or whatever, and it's usually too many. Like 5e even now balances around, what, six to eight combats per adventuring day? Yeah. That's a nightmare. I don't think About we've that. ever done that. <laughs> yeah, it's... You... you yeah time does not fly if you're doing <laughs> six to eight fights per per day god no i mean that that's why there aren't a ton of rules around rp because you don't have time for it right so the obvious thing to do here is cut the number of fights in your game like decouple the xp that you use to advance or you know whatever it is that you use to advance from combat you know, this is a thing that started happening maybe in like the late 90s, uh, very specifically with a lot of RPGs where you were no longer assigned um, XP only for killing things. Like if you solve a problem, if you parlay with someone, if you find some treasure or whatever, you accomplish a mission, then you get XP. It's not like, oh, we got to murder every single goblin in this warren or we won't level up. So you can reward role playing that avoids the fight. Right. If you bypass the encounter, you can also just earn the XP or whatever rewards would be coming to you anyway. Yeah, the treasure, the information, whatever it is, right? A fight doesn't necessarily have to happen unless people want it to happen. This also means you need to offer options that don't require combat, right? Um, you might need to rewrite parts of a pre-written adventure. You might need to change the disposition of a certain group or, or certain monsters so that they can be parlayed with bargained with negotiated with instead of simply slain yeah this is probably my biggest problem with pre-written adventures for any system usually is that there's often like this dungeon mindset and so you know your party is located here the thing you are trying to get the treasure or the exit or whatever is located here and in between there's a series of traps and puzzles and monsters and you gotta kill all those monsters 
and you probably need to kill every single monster one by one in a in a succession in order to like work your way through each room and that that is just combat after combat and after a while it gets dull so a thing you can do here especially pre-written adventures but also you know if you want to tweak a a session that you have prepared ahead of time just take a fight that you were planning on or that the book says you're supposed to do and replace it with like a skill challenge or like a heist or you know some sort of mini game do do anything other than a four-hour combat yeah um I, i like using the skill challenge to get past trivial combats right you can get past the guards uh with a fight or it could just be a skill challenge to, you know, one of the aspects of which might be overpowering them, but also involves like not tripping the alarm or, you know, scouting for the patrol and those kinds of things to make sure that you're set up for the best possible outcome. And then, you know, what would have been a 30 or 40 minute fight is now a 15 minute skill challenge. You can do anything that you want here. Like if you're trying to get past the guards, like attempt a bribe. You know, maybe it's literally one skill check and success. Or maybe, you know, someone says, I'm going to sit down and play cards with them because it looks like that's what they're doing. And now we will actually play a hand of poker or whatever game you want. And then, you know, while they're distracted, everyone else says, hey, we jump them. Okay, well, they're distracted, so you jump them. Or, like, I'll stay out here and keep playing and, like, you guys go do the, the thing. And since there are no guards now, like, you succeed and then we move on to the next thing. You can also use harder but fewer fights, right? So D&D especially is built around six to eight combats to whittle down your resources. So you've got to do the resource management. If you just make that one or two battles that use the same amount of resources, you net out. Yeah, and you you spend way less time. And like that's honestly the most valuable resource in a game is your player's time. Um, But yeah, if you look at a pre-written adventure... All of those rooms filled with all of those monsters and all of those traps that deal damage, the reason that they're really actually all there mechanically is to like whittle down your HP or make your party spend um, a spell in order to get past it or, or whatever. Um, so if you, can, if you can just make them spend a spell or say, hey, we're, we're going to use this spell or pay this amount of XP and sort of skip past it. Or we're going to turn this into a skill challenge and, you know, each failure docks a, a little bit of our um, resources uh, or, or HP, right? We abstract it and say, you know, this is what the fight ended up looking like. Or, you know, you snuck past the the goblins, but, you know, a couple of them spotted you and loosed some arrows, you know, take, roll some dice, you know, 14 damage each. And yeah, now you move on the the out the impact on the story is exactly the same the impact on the mechanics is basically exactly the same all you're doing is saving a ton of time so you also want to look at how your sessions break down in terms of how you spend your time right so if a session is going to be three quarters combat well why not just lean in make it all combat and have it be a big blowout set piece battle that's going to be very memorable as the fight that we had that week rather than a series of unmemorable sort of repetitive fights that we had to slog through that week right like nobody really remembers fighting those four goblins because it doesn't matter and we do it all the time you know but you do remember you know fighting the the goblin cleric and the like um the goblin king over you know a rope bridge uh, above lava uh just make that fight 
a lot harder, put in a lot of like layer actions and legendary actions. Like what happens immediately as soon as you enter, um, there's a, a big spout of lava and, you know, everybody takes some amount of, you know, fire and bludgeoning damage. And now guess what? I've whittled down your resources without spending any additional time in a, another combat. Like I didn't, I didn't have to throw like low level goblin minions at you. We, we just sort of eliminated that off the bat. And this is happening every round anyway. So another problem you can run into is that combats are dull. It's not the number of fights uh, or the time spent in the fights, but it feels like they take too long. You know, an hour of bad combat can drag down the entire session. Yeah, I think if you sort of like actually measured how much time you're spending in combat, for a lot of people, it might actually be less than you think. It just feels like it takes forever because you don't like it. Um. You can check out episode 144 on spicing up combat. You can also check out episode 5 on alternative combat objectives to figure out ways to make your combats more interesting. You know, gives people something else to do during the combat other than, you know, roll to see if I hit, roll to see if I get hit. Like, make combat a lot more exciting, and it may even just feel like combat is moving faster even if you're doing the same amount or maybe even more. Yeah, and and then this also can often present a way to... Uh, short circuit the combat and end it faster right because you have accomplished some objective that wasn't just kill everything in the room well now the fight ends uh, rather than continuing to duke it out to manage the last of the resources down to zero yeah your fight should have some purpose other than making them spend those resources or you know fighting because the system plans that you need to have a fight in order to level up why is it that the party is fighting in game like what is the reason that these characters are actually conducting this fight why are they putting themselves in like a potentially lethal situation it's probably not like oh because like you know we can't face the final boss at full health or it won't be fun it's because the goblins have xp trapped inside them and we need to liberate the xp <laughs> this poor xp it's been trapped in there for centuries <laughs> So what is what is the character getting out of this situation? Like make it matter to them somehow. Either they are gaining something or, you know, they're fighting not to lose something. Also, make it dangerous, right? If death is on the table um, or if you can add it onto the table, then like everyone is instantly more paying attention, more alert, more in tune with what's going on. Um, so if death is possible or, or if death isn't possible, what else could they lose? What are the stakes? Uh, what's going on that's making death an impossibility? Yeah, sometimes you get into a situation where you know you're fighting cannon fodder and you know that you're not going to die and you know that it's just a question of how many HP or spell slots do I use in order to get past this? How many, you know, limited uses of my, um, you know, mech cannon uh, am I going to spend even though I want to save it to till the final fight? that's dull and it's not interesting um if you if you are going to spend a limited resource whatever it is you want it to matter you want it to count this also could just be a problem above the table you might have a player or multiple players who are not paying attention probably because they find the fight boring but this makes the fight go more slowly yeah the self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> I don't pay attention because fights are too long. Why are fights so long? Because you don't pay attention. <laughs> because every time it comes to your turn, I have to explain the situation again, which we right. just did. So it compounds the issue. A board player distracts somebody else. 
They screw up the flow. The combat takes longer. Everybody gets more bored. So even if it's not your favorite part of the game, pay attention to the combat. It'll go a lot faster, and you might even find that you are more engaged in it, and it matters to you, and you have more fun. And isn't the whole point of this having fun? Then the other thing you can do is find something to do when it's not your turn, right? Whether that's mechanically, some some action that you can do outside of your turn that allows you to stay engaged, or whether it's, you know, in... Um, tracking initiative order or managing the map or, you know, keeping track of everyone's status, whatever it is, right? Something that engages you in the combat when it's not your turn so that you're not easily distracted so that you are focused on the thing that keeps the group going. Yeah, I like to sprinkle in some support elements into my build so that I have a reason to pay attention because like not paying attention when it's other people's turns is a fundamentally selfish act. It means that I'm not paying attention to when you might be in danger. I'm not paying attention to when my character could intercede to help you. I'm not paying attention to your part of the story, which my character is supposed to be engaged with because we're supposed to, you know, either we're friends or we have some sort of bond because we're traveling in a a party together, right? Like we depend on each other for our lives. You should be actively engaged and interested in this. So like give yourself a mechanical reason to be interested. Yeah, my mechanical reason is, in Lancer anyway, is, I'm drawing cartoons. (laughs) (laughs) But at least you're paying attention to the screen. And when it's your turn, you've plotted out what you're going to do. Exactly. It's it's part of my windows. (laughs) I mean, that's really it, right? It's like, okay, if you you can't, if you find yourself unable to like actually stay engaged the whole time, at least don't be a detriment to the game. Don't slow it down, even if you're not speeding it up. Exactly. Uh, Let's talk about what to do when fights are taking too long. I think a lot of times this is a system problem and like it's the vast majority of systems that I've ever played. One of the most common issues is that enemies just have too much health. It's not that the enemy or the fight is too difficult, right? Difficult enemies are usually more interesting. They have more options. It's like fun. They do unexpected things, but an enemy that like just doesn't go down, that like, you just hit again and again and, and it's like, oh, okay, it takes that damage and I'll increase its hit point total by 43, but it doesn't really matter because it has 10,000. It makes the fight take take longer than it needs to, even after it's apparent that the party is going to win this thing eventually. Yeah. Um, you can also run into a situation where uh, hit point totals are padded to make combat longer so that some abilities have a chance to get value. Right, an ability that kind of scales up over time. If the combat ends before it reaches that final stage, well, that's not very fun. So you end up padding out a whole combat just to get one player able to use their like kind of top ability. Yeah, I typically don't like charge up abilities either for enemies or PCs for this fact. Right, like who wants to wait until the fourth round of combat? I don't want my combats to last four rounds in order to do a thing. Right. Or I want them to last 10 rounds and that four rounds is trivial because it moves so quickly and, and fluidly that it's fine. Right. It was super awesome and, and cool and like, you know, so many things recharged and we moved through it quickly. So you can do things like reduce enemy health and increase their damage, right? This means that enemies will die faster, but they'll still be a threat because they're dishing out more damage over a shorter amount of time. It can, however, do things like throw off the damage reduction calculations. Like if you have a a character whose build is based around preventing damage, depending on how that math works, like if it's a static number, but the enemies are dealing more damage, then their 
ability is worth less as as less value than it, it would have it also tends to make the uh, the abilities of like the limited abilities of the players more powerful right so a spell that previously could not kill this thing um that now can kill it uh is only cast once instead of being cast twice so you're you're leaving more resources in your player's hand often when you do this which was a problem that fourth edition had mm-hmm. um and it makes things a little swingier right like having a consist consistency is always in the favor of the players and randomness is always in the favor of enemies because players are in every fight and players are dealing with every role and enemies are only here for one time and then they disappear right so if they're dealing more damage especially if they're dealing more damage dice then all of that gets much swingier it's much more likely that you're accidentally going to kill somebody so if you are going to increase damage what you might want to do is just add a static modifier so you're also raising the floor but it's just it's a lot more consistent players know what to expect this of course can also throw off uh any type of armor or damage reduction or, or anything that's supposed to like protect you over you know long-term sustained damage right if you're reducing all damage by two uh well if you're taking you know six packets of three damage well then you're taking six damage but if you're taking one big packet of 25 damage well, now you're taking 23 you know so just just scaling up the damage totals um will make some abilities less valuable but what you can do is, on the flip side, remove or reduce ways for enemies to heal themselves or to heal each other. That's not an interesting ability for an enemy to have, usually. You know, you, you, they can do it every once in a while, but if an enemy just has a healer on their side, all you're doing is dragging this combat out. All you're doing is undoing what the party just did on their turn. Right. Uh, especially if, you're, if your players are not great at prioritizing that healing yeah. <laughs> and focusing it down as soon as they realize it exists. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can do things like remove or adjust reset buttons that either the encounter has built in or that um, enemies have built in. Um, I think uh, Theros, the, the campaign setting that just came out for D&D, &D, has mythic monsters, and a lot of them have essentially a reset button where... Once you've killed them the first time, they like gain either all or half of their hit points again and they get new abilities. This can feel like, hey, we succeeded. Oh, wait, we didn't succeed. Right. You can reflavor it to make it more interesting, though, right? It can be apparent that this thing isn't about to die, but like something's going to happen, right? Like, oh, it's not its final form. Okay, things got more complicated and difficult. Uh, just make sure that the monster isn't doing the exact same thing over again with just more hit points points or else it's like we already fought this fight why are we fighting it again yeah now we get to fight twice but now i have just fewer resources cool 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 but that makes it harder shane oh i know huh? oh i'm aware another problem you can have that will result in very long combats is that you just have too many enemies right you might be um especially happens if you are setting your count of enemies to be like realistic to the fiction um you know, a realistic number of enemies can bog down combat. You know, if goblins, you know, nest in groups of 30 to 40 and you're going into the goblin caves, if you think to yourself, that means I have to have 30 to 40 goblins. Well, guess what? That's that's a lot of hit points you got to wear down over time. That's a lot of fight you got to have. That's a big combat that has to happen. Uh, if you find a way to justify that it's fewer, right, you can spend less time. Yeah, like it's not fun for anyone when most of the time in the combat is the GM 
running a bunch of enemies and like making a lot of rolls and basically talking to themselves. Um, you really want most of the time, most of the agency to be in the hands of the players. I think this is why in fiction, a lot of the times you get these situations where you have sort of an absurd number, a very small number of enemies or, you know, people on either side of the battle, right? Like it makes a lot more sense for there to be 10,000 space fighters in a squadron, you know, attacking in, in unison or in sorties. But really the more interesting fiction is like five people in, in giant mechs with laser swords. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just way more, way more interesting for like, and easy for us to focus on individually. And each of those things can have personalities. And it's the same thing with enemies. Like a big wave, a horde of enemies is cool every once in a while. It's like a big set piece battle, but pretty soon you want to get them whittled down to just a few main enemies or just have the few main enemies to begin with. And like the rest is just sort of narration. Right. There are a lot of ways to create these realistic small encounters, right? Some might just be that the other enemies fade into the background, but you can't have realistic small encounters, right? Like uh, you, you kick open a, a door or like one cave in the Warren and there's a small cluster of like guards or enemies there. And you have this fight before anyone else can come before their reinforcements. And then you can always have like Schrodinger's second wave of enemies. Like if they got mowed down way too quickly and it wasn't a, it was like a speed bump and that's all it was. You can be like, great, that was a speed bump and we'll move on. Or an additional wave of enemies can come in to spice things up. Uh, you can also introduce fewer, stronger enemies, right? Not necessarily a solo monster, but um, maybe the same number of uh, enemies as the party or slightly less or slightly more, right? So that you're not dragging out the length of the initiative order. Yeah, and then people sort of like naturally pair off or, you know, you gang up on one and then everyone can sort of keep track of what's happening on the board because, you know, there is about as many of them as there are of us. Yeah, and then, then, you know, you also can do things like group them uh, in initiative order, right? So you roll only one initiative for them. Uh, have them all act at the same time, rolling the same modifiers at the same time so you don't have to look it up multiple times, things like that to just speed through them. Yeah, you can even mechanically just lump them together as if they're, you know, um, fewer, smaller enemies. Like, sure, you can have a horde and just uh, use, like, uh, mass combat rules or swarm rules or something like that and and just say, like, I'm going to treat these as like five swarms of enemies and they're going to attack you even though there are 40 of them. So the fiction still remains the same. And then another thing that can get dull is when the battle is a foregone conclusion. Like you've won, you know, you've figured out this enemy's tricks or we've got it, we've got this combo where we've locked it down and now it's just a matter of eventually whittling down its hit points to kill it but that's going to take a while. And if we play it out, we're going to be here for six more rounds. And like, why do that to ourselves? Like just pull the plug, make a morale check, offer surrender, parlay, death knell. (laughs) Yeah. My favorite thing to do actually is, is not to have the enemy surrender. Um, It's that mechanically you still want to use up these resources, right? So I just have them explode. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enemy's gone. Combat's over. Great. And I have, taken out some more of your resources right um the other thing is just stop right like just stop having combat in initiative order just switch to narrative right okay cool like you you're clearly the fight is won how do you win um just let it go yeah make it cool you run them down 
great. You want to have a conversation and tie them up. Great. You do that. Okay. Let's, let's switch over to the part we all like now. Right. Your fights also could be going slowly because of table problems. And I think maybe the most common one is that a player has no idea what to do on their turn. Well, let's, let's not say player because this, this befuddles GMs too, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Like, oh, wait, hold on. I have to read this new stat block for the cool monster I picked. Right. A person at the table doesn't know what to do on their turn. So the first thing to do is make sure that you're actually paying attention. Make sure that you have all the information about what is going on in the combat so that you can make a decision. And then make that decision ahead of time. Like most games, there's an initiative order or there's popcorn initiative or something. Like you have an idea that your turn is coming up. Plan ahead decide what you're going to do and then adapt that as the scene continues to change so that when it actually is your turn, you're like, oh, great. I already know what I was about to do. Right. That also means you need to know your sheet, know your spells, understand, um, you know, what these different features mean and how they work, um, you know, so that you can read them aloud uh, so that everyone understands what it is that you're doing. But you already know how it's going to resolve. You already know it's a wisdom save or you know, it's this type of opposed check or whatever. Um, and, and this goes again, both ways, right? Like as a, um, as a GM, like get rid of all the bogged down things on your monster stat block that aren't going to actually be useful to you. You know, um, I know like the, the second edition, uh, all the 40 K games were like notorious for having all of these, like, abilities that would be listed in a stat block that just affected static modifiers and it's like cool like what does supernatural three mean oh it's a plus three to these three things are they reflected yes do i care no <laughs> like so like i would literally transcribe them right i would screenshot the important stuff out of the pdf and then like transcribe it so that only the abilities that like actually mattered to me were were on my page um, mm -hmm. instead of like just the text listed out that I then had to reference something later on or, you know, dig up out of the like PHB or whatever. And this takes a little bit of practice, like on either side of the screen, but it results in you having more fun because what it means is you can be like, all right, uh, that enemy makes a wisdom save. And now what I'm going to do is narrate the fiction rather than slowly plotting my way through all the mechanics about like, okay, hold on, let me roll. I need a roll a D20. I need to add four. Okay, now are there enough D8s? Hold on, I need some more D8. Like have all this planned ahead of time, know what's going to happen. I roll, I roll. Hey, everyone at the table, here's the thing that happens. Uh, another thing that can happen is that you have too many options right um not just that you have filler on the sheet but that you have actual viable options that you could use that you understand how to use but you need to make more decisions right um so if you can bias yourself towards fewer bigger attacks bigger spells um you know things that resolve faster than doing six different options within the full action economy yeah like the nightmare in lancer right now is the optimal thing to do is to add on lots of additional extra attacks because who doesn't like extra attacks? That's great. It's just, it's free attacks. Right. Uh, but making eight attacks on your turn is why it's an hour or two hours before you get to go again. Uh, not only that, but then making an attack and then having to use reactions uh, that change the battlefield after your attack so that you can respond to make all of your attacks is literally my nightmare that I live. 
Yeah, you can't you can't just roll all your tax. And then, you know, with with the way the critical hits are structured or there are contingent attacks, you don't necessarily know that all eight are going to happen or you don't know how much damage each of those eight is going to do because it changes depending on the previous attacks. Right. And the order of the attacks matter because they all have different stats and different effects. And it's like, well, what's the optimal way to layer this? And when do I expect this enemy to die? Like it it, it becomes a bogged down nightmare, to be honest. So I would say power gamers out there, uh, optimize your fun. This is something it took me a long time to learn. Like, yeah, I can probably dish out more damage by doing a bunch more attacks, but my turn is faster and I'm less like anxious about getting every little bit of damage, like squeezing it out of this. If I just have, I'll, I'll do three things on my turn, three awesome things. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a spell, I'll do a, a really cool attack and then, you know, I'll interact with some object or whatever. Right. And one, it, it it's a lot easier to narrate and like gets me into the the fiction more easily, but also like it's just way more consistent rather than like trying to hang everything on like a particular combo to, to eke out the most um, optimal amount of damage. Yeah. And then it helps you avoid analysis paralysis, right? Of like there, there are three ways to skin this cat and which one is going to get me that slight extra benefit. Like instead it's like, cool. It all ends up in the same place, which is the majority of the things I'm trying to kill are dead. So that's fine. Right. And like, quite honestly, like you don't get extra points for overkill. All three of these options are probably going to kill this thing. Just do the one that's cool and interesting and fun and fast. Right. Like you can't just do the first thing that comes to mind. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it doesn't always have to be the optimal move. Sometimes the optimal move is whatever is fastest and keeps us moving along because that also means I'll get more turns and I can do more cool things. Right. So, in that vein, it's also generally better to choose static modifiers over temporary or activated ones, right? So uh, if you're looking at a monster stat block and they have a you know an ability that buffs them themselves or buffs their allies, hey, just give them the bonus. Don't bother with the ability. Just give them the bonus. They're supposed to have it. That way it's all fixed. It becomes a static modifier. Right. If you're a player and you're choosing like, oh, I can get a plus two in this situation or I can get a plus one always just take the plus one. Right. <laughs> just take the thing that always works instead of the thing where you got to remember, like each of these six circumstances provides a bigger bonus, but only sometimes. Yeah. Nothing sucks more than remembering that you forgot a bonus. <laughs> yeah. A thing that you've already paid for that you forgot. Uh -huh. That sucks. Yeah. And then choose consistent options rather than ones that are contingent upon other circumstances. I would rather have two attacks guaranteed every round than maybe four attacks if my first two hit. Hello, Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Conditional third attack, the worst ability in the game. So you can also run into uh, people at the table being inefficient with their time. Uh, and this is you know doubly true of GMs, but probably easier to enforce for players. Just set a time limit on decision-making. Right. When it's your turn, you have 60 seconds to make a decision. We're not waiting longer to optimize any further. We're not making a, you know, a democratic vote of what we want this character to do. Uh, this player will make this decision in 60 seconds or they'll start losing their turn. Right. And, you know, if you're the kind of person who wants to weigh in on what other people should do. Well, in the fiction, this person is making a decision in the heat of the moment in the middle of combat. So I, they're probably just going to do the thing that they decide to do. Yeah, it's it's nice to ask the question, hey, can you help me with this problem? And if the answer is, I don't know how to do that, then the answer is no, right? It's not, let's figure out if I can help you with that problem. 
Right. And the you should have done this or do this should usually wait to be in game after the combat during like the debrief or the campfire stories. Right. You also can put your dice in pre-counted piles. If you know that your attack does 4d6 sneak attack damage and 3d8 booming blade, like that goes in a little pile along with the d20, you know, and you just scoop them all up and you drop them all down every single time. Yep. You can also just pick those up and roll them along with your hit dice, right? Famous combination of roll them all together. Uh, Just save yourself the trouble. So if the d20 hits, great. You'll count up the dice you've already rolled. Uh, And if the d20 doesn't hit, then fine. You just ignore the dice, pick them back up, sort them out. Mm -hmm. In 5e, I even like to have a separate little pile for crit damage, right? So I roll, great. Oh, look, that was a 20. I pick up the second pile. I roll them. I add everything together. If you're a filthy little dice goblin like I am, uh, it can be helpful to use differentiated dice for different effects, right? So uh, I have a pile of white D8s for my smites, and I have a a pile of uh, red D8s for my sneak attack, and I use these dice for, uh, you know, this die is always my first, and this die is always my advantage or disadvantage, and I can just ignore the yellow one if I didn't have either. The orange dice are the fire damage that I'm dealing. And, you know, the first time I attack an enemy, I just ask the GM, does fire damage matter? They'll say yes or no, and I know whether I need to parse it out or not. But I don't need to, like, roll it, calculate it, and then roll the other type of damage and then calculate it. It's just, it's all done. Right. Uh, Also, if you're one who scatters your dice all over the table and has to go find your dice to figure out what the totals were, get a dice tray. Keep it full of only the dice you're rolling. And that way, you know where all your dice have landed. Uh, if you don't have that, use the use the box, right? Like take the box off of a board game and just roll in a box. It's, it's really not that hard. If you're playing online, you can usually type out the formulas ahead of time. Yes. This is this is very useful. All right. Like you're sitting here, you got 20 minutes before your turn. Type them out. Copy paste them later. You know, they're they're all complicated and sometimes they don't work properly. Just make sure that you've got the syntax correct. You're using the same ones every single time. Don't retype them every time. Yeah, this is this is a great trick. Like in in um, you know, if you have a sheet where you can click a button to roll, that's always the best. But even if you're playing a game that doesn't have the full features of your virtual tabletop, you're just using the dice roller. Like using tricks like you know, roll one d twenty keep K H one, right? So you're always rolling to keep the highest die or kl1 keep the lowest die even if you only roll roll one die right that way you're changing as little as possible each time you like paste the formula and as little as possible if you do need to make a a change on the fly like great you just replace one digit now one thing that is somewhat controversial that i am increasingly in favor of is pre-rolling dice uh (laughs) you know people get like cranky about pre-rolling initiative like i think it's dumb to ever roll initiative uh and in fact i stopped rolling initiative in um in rogue trader like i just i knew what the initiative number for them was and i slotted you in around them uh you know like this rolled a 13 that rolled a nine that rolled a one so it's going last and then i'll like wherever you roll is is fit in around the other guys um but you can do that with attacks too like there is if you've got complicated stuff like you can just hey the first attack like the first set of three attacks are going to roll a 19 a 21 and an eight right does that hit you a 19 to 21 and an 8 great then you get three hits and the damage for each of those is going to be frankly in dnd i would just use the automatic damage (laughs) it's pre-calculated and it's average so i'm good as a player you can do this too you know when your turn is coming up and i am a huge fan of being like all right i know i have three attacks in my turn 
um, I have built a character so that I get all three of those attacks without having to worry about whether the first one's hit. So you know what? Like we're sitting at a table. Everybody trusts me. I'm just going to roll my my d20s in a row. Boom, boom, boom. All right. I know which one's hit. Oh, look, there was a crit. Guess what? I can just gather up all my dice. And if this is taking forever, I can just start rolling the damage. Right. And then when it's my turn, I'd be like, great. I attacked that one. I rolled, you know, I rolled a 21. That hit, right? Yes, of course it hit. Okay, great. It took 17 damage. Uh, the next one was higher and the next one was a 15. Did that hit? I assume not. No. Okay, it missed. Here's the damage. Great. My, my turn is over. Now, it's not a bad thing that my turn was short. I'm not like getting cheated out of playing time. I got to play that whole time. You right. know, I was you, I was paying attention. You played before your turn. <laughs> right. And I just like didn't make everybody else sit through my dice rolling and my math. Right. And this actually is great if you're playing online because, you know, as long as you're not clogging up the feed of the online dice roller, you can just put them and be like, you know, you label it. You, you can like put a little note like this is what that die roll is and now we have them when my turn comes around right um the other thing that can be helpful here if if you're the gm and you know they have a target number share the target number once they've Mm -hmm. identified it right like cool like you know you hit on a 16 so you know whether you're rolling dice or rolling damage or not when you see what your total is end of story yeah and and please if you're rolling multiple attacks and you know that you hit on an 18 and then you rolled higher than that the next time don't ask if it hits it hits yeah <laughs> like okay i rolled an 18 a 24 and a 9 so two hits great <laughs> <laughs> um of course this is predicated on trust so if you find yourself not being trusted maybe you need to social engineer your table a little bit so people will believe you when you say you crit three times in a session <laughs> or maybe you need to be more trustworthy whatever <laughs> right <laughs> the way uh the way roll 20 is rolling for me and lancer it seems like at the beginning of the session i will crit every roll and then when we fight i'm screwed right <laughs> you use it all up yeah exactly <laughs> all right it's also possible that you're just sitting at a very chaotic table it's fine happens to the best of us Delegate the tasks so that everything gets out of the way. Um, you know, make sure somebody's handling initiative. Someone who's probably not the GM, right? Um, someone else is, you know, paying attention to location and placement. If the board gets knocked over or whatever, you know, I, I know where everything was, was supposed to go. The other thing I also like to do is change the ambiance when an actual fight begins so that everyone can get focused. Maybe this means, you know, starting up a different music track. Or, you know, we, we have the, the fight music as opposed to the tavern music. It could be changing the lighting. It could be like, all right, we are we're about to have a combat. Everybody, like, let's move the snacks off the table out of the way we're laying out the map we're drawing the thing everyone place yourselves everyone's standing and looking over it like it's actually like a war room like everyone is is now in fight mode right yeah this is something that we uh we have to like somebody has to almost quarterback our table itself because there's so many moving parts at any given point in the session until about 9 30 when everybody has finally finished their dinner Right. Because we tend to have everybody in one place. We're mostly ordering delivery, not always ordering one delivery, but like, you know, people will pair up or whatever. So somebody has to get the door. Somebody has to distribute food. Somebody has to get rid of trash. Somebody has to like figure out what to do with these leftovers or does anybody want some of this or I got this for the table. Right. Like all that kind of stuff. And if we're in a fight, it's like, no, you aren't getting the door. I am because I just went. You figure out your turn. (laughs) Right. Like, no, I will throw that away for you so that you are here for your turn in eight seconds. Right. 
we have the initiative tracker. We know what's happening. You know when you can go to the bathroom and it's not right before your turn. Right, exactly. And like all this other stuff has to happen. Like it's it's a game and we're having fun and we need to eat and like, you know, someone's baking cookies and that's awesome and that's why we came to your house to play. You absolutely go check the cookies. That's our priority, honestly. Yeah, okay? cookies are priority but, one, combat priority two. <laughs> right. But that means that someone else needs to pick up the slack there. Or if it's, you know, your turn, but you got to check the cookies. Great. We skip you. We come back to it. Like everyone just needs to grease the wheels. And then one thing you can do, especially as players, is use in-game resources to shorten your fights. So if there's a retreat mechanic, offer to accept a surrender. Offer to just run away. You know what? You got what you wanted. You got what you came for. Just leave. Yeah, I I scream at them. I, I beat my chest with my axe and I scream at them. Does that work? Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even if there's not a retreat mechanic. Uh, in game, plan your fights ahead of time. You know, make them one sided in your favor so that they don't have to last as long. Like just crush your enemies, ambush them, alpha strike them, make sure that your combos work well and unleash them, like lock them down so that they can't do anything. That's fun and it's fast. A lot of time planning tends to be more fun than actual combat. So spend your time there. You know, if you're allotting 30 minutes for the, the fight, spend 10 minutes doing the planning and then 10 minutes executing the plan instead of 30 minutes figuring it all out and doing it in the moment. Right. We want to waylay the warlord while, you know, she's moving through the pass, but, you know, she has 40 guards with her. Well, we're not going to fight 40 guards. We could probably take him. It would take forever. Let's cause a rock slide and cut her off from them. And now we fight six guards. This is also a good time to let the power gamer loose. You know what? They built their character for this. This is combat time. This is their chance to shine. This is the reason they're here. Uh, go nuts. Right. Same with butt kinkers. Let, let them just do their thing. Let them shine. Yeah. You know, they have stepped aside graciously while you had your social encounter. They, you know, came along for the ride because you told them there was treasure while you were trekking through the wilderness. Like, let them murder the enemies as quickly as possible. And now you can move back to the thing that you enjoy. So there are some caveats here before we wrap up. Uh, that we should definitely touch base on. Uh, one is that some systems don't really play well with tinkering. They're too finely sort of structured. They're, they're too tied together. Um, everything starts to kind of like fall out if you mess with the, uh, with the mechanics too much. Right. You double damage in Lancer and armor gets screwed up, but resistance doesn't. And so it, it's very hard to find a solution that works in every scenario. Especially, yeah, if... if the characters have already made choices based on how the system was advertised. Sometimes, though, the problem is that your PCs like just don't really like fights, you know? So you might consider, are you actually using the right system? Is it, If this is a combat-based system, maybe this isn't a party that's going to enjoy that system. Or maybe you're not playing the right kind of game. You, you might enjoy something much more narrative. Yeah, I mean, maybe... maybe you should be switching systems after you've already established the parameters of the game. You know, maybe it's the fights in the system that they don't like, but they liked everything else. So like, is it so bad if you finish playing out your melodramatic mech anime, um, you know, in a system that's designed for melodramatic anime instead of mechs, <laughs> you know, like if you go play, um, you know, if you shift from Lancer to uh, monster hearts, I guess, <laughs> right? Like that's melodramatic enough. 
my Tokugawa's heart is always on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. D- don't have, you shouldn't have a problem like switching in the middle like that. Like most parties, like most groups kind of are switching when they move into combat anyway. Like it's a totally different aesthetic. It's a totally different goals. Yeah. Great. Maybe you just use entirely different sheets or an entirely different system. Strip out the parts you, you like uh, and keep them. And then also make sure that everyone actually thinks the fight is too long, right? Um, sometimes people do actually enjoy longer fights and they are enjoying the combat, even if they are distracted or even if they're struggling with things. Like just because people are bad at pushing the buttons and directing the joystick doesn't mean they don't enjoy the game, even if they aren't as successful at it as, as you are because you're better with the joystick and the buttons. Right. Even if it appears that way, even if maybe people have complained, if you ask them, just check with them and be like, uh, do you want to shorten these combats or do you want to like remove them entirely or switch something up somehow? You might actually get a response like, no, no, actually, it's fine. I was having a bad day that day. Or like, I actually like that I can just, you know, zone out at this. And like, I I think the combats are cool and I kind of like watching all of you do it. And if you're having fun, then let's keep. That, That is something that I have learned from playing competitive video games is that like (laughs) there there are always a group of players at like the bottom percentile of ranking that enjoy the game just as much even though they're bad at it right and like don't have the same experience as like esports professionals do their game is totally different and that's fine they enjoy that thing so like there doesn't have to be a platonic ideal combat there just has to be the combat that your group and your table enjoys And then remember that there is likely a tension between making the fight engaging and making it short. Sometimes making the fight more engaging and more interesting means making it a little longer, or it means uh, adding new things that can make it longer. If that makes it more interesting and people enjoy it more, fine. That's okay. The problem, you're you're not really solving for making the combat shorter. You're solving for making the game more fun. Yeah, it's the fun per minute ratio that you're solving for, not the uh, not just the fun or not just the time. Right. So try try to hit both sweet spots, right? If making it shorter makes it more fun and engaging, perfect. Like then, you know, take all of our suggestions, uh, throw those in, try them out, and maybe you end up with something like really short and sweet. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? My Tokugawa rips off its armor. And you can see its burning, fiery heart beating. Well, you're about to explode in the mech equivalent of a heart attack, so it's time to move on to the character creation forge and find out what you're rolling up next. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You you can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne, that's Malice, minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Hey, my name is James Intracasso, and I'm the host of Tabletop Babble, which is a role-playing game discussion podcast where I bring on awesome industry guests like Matthew Mercer, Ruth Tillman, Wolfgang Bauer, Cat Cool, and so many others. We talk RPG news, give advice, laugh, argue. It is a fun time, just like you'd have at a convention or local friendly game store. Check out Tabletop Babble at DontSplitThePodcastNetwork.com. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Simple Simon, 
He is not here to meet a pieman. It's is a character that is easy and fun to play, has plenty of options, but runs quickly at the table and doesn't slow down your gameplay. So I'm guessing this will have a small spell list, a single attack, and very straightforward reactions. Absolutely. All right. So what do we got? It is Swashbuckler Rogue 15, War Wizard 2, Gloomstalker Ranger 3. So first off, let's go with four levels of Rogue. This will give us 2d6 sneak attack no matter what because you're a swashbuckler. So if you have enemies adjacent, if you have um, allies adjacent to the enemy, you get your sneak attack. If you don't and you're adjacent, you get your sneak attack. Right. You're just always rolling those dice. It does not matter. Unless you're outnumbered. (laughs) In which case, find a way to not be outnumbered. Uh, you'll also get two expertise. You'll take stealth and perception. Uh, you'll get cunning action for uh, dash, disengage, or hide on your bonus action. Uh, and you will add your charisma modifier to your initiative. And then you won't take opportunity attacks after you have attacked somebody. Uh, this makes you mer- very mobile. You can move around. You've always got options. But the optimal one, of course, is like hit somebody very hard. And you have ways to do that where you don't really need to think about it. And then walk away. Yep. Then take two levels of wizard. You get things like shield and absorb elements, but really you're here for booming blade, which you're going to apply to every single time you swing with that rapier of yours. You also get arcane deflection, which lets you add plus two to your AC or plus four to a saving throw uh, after you've already rolled it and see what you got. And you'll add your intelligence modifier to your initiative. And you will learn first level rituals. This means you've got now two ability modifiers stacked on initiative, which means it's more likely for you to go first, which means that you can just set the tone and move forward and you don't need to reconfigure what you're planning to do on your turn because of what other people have done on their turns. And first level rituals also mean that you have a lot more to do before or after combat, and it means you can do a better job of setting things up, uh, ambushes and things, and since you have expertise in probably stealth and maybe perception, um, it it means that you can uh, be very involved in planning the combats ahead of time so that this can just be, um, you know, a a totally lopsided uh, combat. Then you'll take Rogue to level 9, which will get our sneak attack up to 5d6 damage. Uh, We'll also gain Uncanny Dodge. So this gives you a host of simple options. If you're attacked, use shield uh, if that is going to keep you from being hit. If arcane deflection would do it uh, instead, then you use that so that the attack misses. If neither of those is going to make the attack miss, then you use uncanny dodge. And if uh, your saving throw would succeed if you arcane deflection, then you would do that. If there was no way for you to save anyway, then use absorb elements. You'll get two more expertise, which you can use on, frankly, whatever you want, as well as evasion to take even less damage and not bother with any halving uh, when you succeed on saving throws. And then you get panache, which lets you uh, use an action to try to charm people. This is probably best used before combat to avoid combats entirely. Then we'll take three levels of ranger, uh, which will get us uh, natural explorer and the dueling fighting style, which... uh, means that we only use one weapon and gives us just a flat bonus you get uh, cure wounds hunter's mark or zephyr strike your choice uh, gives you an option for your bonus action but it's really it's mostly set it or forget it you're invisible to dark vision you get wisdom to initiative which now means you're stacking three um four actually it's four ability modifiers onto your initiative it's very likely you're going to be going first 
And then it looks like the Gloomstalker ability might break one of our rolls. In the first round, you get one extra attack, um, which uh, can deal an additional D8 damage. Uh, but another thing that makes combats go faster is killing enemies faster. So this does help. Right. Uh, then we'll finish out rogue. We'll get eight D six sneak attack at the end. Uh, we'll, we'll take reliable talent, which will mean we can no longer roll less than a 10 on our skill checks. Uh, and we'll get blind sense. So within 10 feet of us, we know where things are. Yeah, that's, it works really well with Gloomstalker, you know, douse the lights and basically any combat you want can become an ambush and reliable talent just means like sometimes I don't even need to roll, right? Is the 32 good enough? Oh, it is great. I don't, I don't even bother doing the math. All right. So before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps other people find us. And if you do, we will read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about adventuring in the tundra. And in the character creation forge. We're building healing warmth. Well, that's it for episode 276 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts to choose from. The easy-to-use design tool lets you build perfect miniatures online using a fully 3D, in-depth character creator right in your web browser. They offer custom minis in a variety of materials, including plastic and metal, as well as downloadable model files for users to 3D print their unique designs at home. It's a good thing, because I think when Susie is uh, going to get uh, minis for Switch, her changes in character, she's going to need about 15 of them. Yeah, that'll save some money. Hero Forge is also constantly expanding their catalog of customization options, adding new parts every week and major features like races and custom posing on a regular basis. Q4 includes bear folk and dragon heads and dragon wings and dragon horns and dragon tails. Hey, did you want high heels on your miniature? Because you can add those now. They got furry body types. And you can put piercings in a lot more places. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that was what was keeping me from buying minis in the first place, not a the piercings in the right place. A whole new piercing system. There's also epic weapons, epic bases, and epic wings that will be added in Q4. So visit HeroForge.com to start designing your custom miniature today and check back often because new content is added every week.